Church, Charlotte. The Lord would like to do something among us here today, and I would like to believe that His hand is going to be manifest among us today. The most important thing that happens is uh, in us is not necessarily that which other people perceive. That's good, and I'm for it. But the most important thing that happens is when God puts some strength down in your spirit and in your life. And everything begins to look different because you have the, it's like a spiritual structure that has been placed in you. And that's what I'm looking for here today. That's what I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to see God, God bring about and do in this house here today. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite ready yet. Stand with me all across the house. Let's just take a moment here. Would you lift your hands? We'd say, Lord Jesus, speak into our lives, Lord Jesus. Minister to us today according to your will, according to your power. Let us be made partakers of the divine nature, O oh God. Fill us with the unction of the Holy Spirit. I pray for every need that's in this house here today. Don't let us leave here the way we came, God. Don't let us leave here weak. Don't let us leave here in some way lowly in our spirit. But let us be edified in you where we stop looking at us and we start looking at you. And we start to believing that everything can be different according to your power, according to your anointing, according to your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Now put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap and pray. I will bless you, O oh Lord. I will bless you, O oh Lord. I will bless you, O oh Lord. Come on, you can do better than that. Lift your voice in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. going into our back to school backpack promotion where we support the needy families around the church. Uh, we do this every year and I would like to involve you in uh, opportunity to be a part of that. Uh, God will bless it and there is a blessing in serving the people that God cares about and loves. If you would like to be a part of that, I want to invite you to help fund it, give some money uh, and just market backpack drive and any you can put in the kiosks back there. The church is going to do it. Uh, the question is whether or not you're going to be involved in the blessing of it. And so this is your opportunity uh, to be involved in the blessing of that. We spend thousands of dollars every fall uh, creating an event where we can help the community around us. You guys know you have enough money to choke the devil. So get some of that money and say, Lord, I want to be a part of blessing in my world. And I want to show you that I don't just care about me. I care about other people, other needs. Can I have some agreement in this house? Amen, amen, and again, I say amen. All right, so uh, I am preaching from this subject. It may, like most of my titles, need to be explained. My title is Facing Serpents, Facing Serpents, and I am going to read John chapter number 3 and verse number 9. Nicodemus answered and said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? 
Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the the serpent in the wilderness, even so, even so, just as the serpent was lifted up, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is such a unique moment in the scripture, and uh, I, I, I'm trying to convey it and share it with all of you. Uh, I want the Lord to say what I cannot say, and if you have the sense of me feeling after the Lord, that's exactly what's happening. Uh, that's my job, and so I'm trying to do my job. Um, if you have this sense that this moment in the scripture uh, is important in the instruction of uh, a good man who is trying to see how God is working now. Uh, this good man, Nicodemus, has a comfort zone, like, like all of us do, the comfort zone. And if the Lord would work in his comfort zone, he would have no difficulty, do you see? He would have no difficulty with what and how to uh, proceed. The problem that is really chafing him is that the Lord is moving outside. Somebody say outside. God is moving outside his comfort zone. Now, if you serve God long enough, I promise you the Lord will move outside your comfort zone. And you'll have to decide, all right, now what? (laughs) Um, If the Lord had worked through the elders of Israel... There would have been no difficulty in Nicodemus understanding the moving of the Spirit. Do you see? I want you to get this. If it had happened through the Sanhedrin council, if it would have happened in the way that was a testimony from the Old Testament, if the Lord had given manna, it would have not been difficult for Nicodemus. Why? Because there was this safe zone called precedent where something had happened to the elders. Therefore, all you have to do is just say it's happening again. It's happening anew. It's happening afresh. But God is choosing to work outside the comfort zone, and things are happening outside the safety zone, and Nicodemus is trying to understand. His world, his comfort zone, his religious peer group has all rejected Jesus because they've never seen God work like this before. I I don't want to rush past that. I want you to see. Because if I know one thing about how God moves in the here and now, it is this. God loves to take us places we haven't been 
and to do a work that we have not perceived. The Spirit blows like the wind. You cannot contain it. You cannot corral it in. You cannot hold up your hand and say, God can only move in that way. When? You can only blow in that direction. The moment you try to put God in a box, you find out that your box was entirely too small. Lord Jesus, I want to speak for First Church, and I want to say right now, we're not telling you what you can do. We're asking you to do what you do and asking for the wisdom to see how you are working in this moment, in this hour, among us, among our friends, among the people we can influence. God, if you'll give us the wisdom, uh, we will only speak good things of the work of God. We won't quench the spirit, Lord Jesus. We won't reject the freedom that comes uh, as you bring hope to people's life and let some church folks say amen. I'm hungry to see God do a work that I cannot even imagine. I'm hungry to see God open doors that I don't even really know what to do with. I have to have a meeting about where to start. (laughs) That's my favorite moment in ministry is when you have to get your team together and say, here's an opportunity. We don't know what we're doing, but honey, we're doing something. (laughs) We are motivated to take a chance on the spirit of God moving among uh, the waters, among the peoples, among the nations. So, Lord, let it happen right here in Jesus' name. Nicodemus, this is hard for you because in order for you to follow what God is doing, you're going to have to place yourself at risk by what your peers say about you and what they think about you. Nicodemus, you at some point in your religious spiritual growth are going to have to decide whether you serve God or you serve your peer group. Isn't it interesting that this challenge happens again and again and again to men and women of God in the Scripture? You have to decide what you are motivated by. What is your why? Will you soothe yourself with the opinion of others, or will you take a chance on what God is doing? Nicodemus, this is hard for you because it's out of your safety zone. It's hard for you because it is a stretch. Now, uh, let me uh, preach to myself first and maybe hit you by accident. God's always going to take me out of my comfort zone, and when I create a new comfort zone, God is going to move me out of that, and then I'll create a new comfort zone, and God will move me out of that comfort zone. Why? As an eagle stirs up its nest, the young eagle is way too comfortable in this nest of care and uh, certainty. And so the mother takes all the comfort out of it. And now the young eaglet, if that's a thing, uh, now is not near as comfortable. Somebody needs to understand that sometimes God will take the feather bed out of your life. All of a sudden, everything is uncomfortable. All of a sudden, everything is different. Everything is strange. And now you're having to figure out what exactly is going on. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to start. All I know is it used to be as comfy as a blanket in a rainy day, but now it feels like God is nonstop yelling at me, and I've got to make a change in my life. If you cannot be led by the Spirit, then you are not where you need to be.
be in God and you need to humble yourself. You need to make time in your life to become more spiritual. As you become more spiritual, you will become more sensitive. Uh, You know this, you could say it. As you become more sensitive, God will be able to lead you more and more. Amen. Amen. Nicodemus, can you see that this is not happening in a way where you are both useful to the kingdom of God and you are ensconced in your comfort zone? You need to choose which one is it. Um, Now, I want to say that I'm not particularly unsympathetic to Nicodemus. I think in all of our life, there is this tension between the safe safety zone, shall we say, and the cutting edge of spiritual progress. Let me say it again. There's this tension between the safe place of reassurance and the challenging place of spiritual direction, spiritual conviction, and spiritual leadership. There's this tension that exists. You can't spend all of your time taking chances. Neither can you spend all of your time being safe. There is this spiritual tension that exists. In the scripture, you'll see it in the life of Jesus like this. Jesus is opening to the crowd, and Jesus is withdrawing from the crowd. And what does he do when he withdraws from the crowd? You find him investing in spiritual practices. He's not retreating from ministry to have a vacation. He's retreating from ministry to be renewed and restored in his heart and spirit, do you see? But the point of the giving is not the withdrawing. And the point of the withdrawing is not the giving. These two opposites are what allow us in our flesh to be useful to God. And so your life will feel like this. As you would progress with God, you will feel seasons when you are drawn into an arena of challenge, opportunity, prayer, intercession, faith. And then you'll feel a time where you almost as though retreat into renewal. You retreat into restoration. You retreat into seeking, asking, knocking. And then, having been restored, what happens? You go back to the field. In the parable, it goes like this. There's a table and there's a field. If you spend all of your time in the field, you grow weak. Why? You need the food of the table to be strong. But if you spend all your time at the table, you grow spiritually gluttonous and selfish. And then you're too overfilled and, uh, how shall we say, over in gluttoned, word for the day. And now you can't stand to work in the field because you can hardly get off the couch. Man, that's some fine preaching. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? This tension exists in our life, and we uh, come to the service, and we are strengthened, we are challenged, we are sometimes rebuked, and then we go into the field, and there we let our little light shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, and then you come back into the house of God, uh, and you stir up that fire again. You see what I'm trying to say here? Nicodemus, there is, yes, a safety zone, but God is not doing the new thing in your safety zone. He's doing it beyond your safety zone. Uh, So just as Nicodemus 
can be challenged and taught by this story. We can be challenged and taught by the story because Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up. Just as the serpent was lifted up and they looked at it, so the Son of Man will be lifted up that all might be drawn to him. Okay, so now I want to tell you the story of the serpent in the wilderness. Um, The people of Israel were in transition. They had left Egypt. God was taking them to a land of promise. Where we have been is not where we will always be. It is a place, but God's taking you somewhere. Get your grandma finger out, point at your neighbor, and say, God's taking you somewhere. All of us are in transition. A day will come when we will live face-to-face with him on the other side of Chile, Jordan, as the old-timer used to say. Uh, But in the meantime, God's still working on me, and God's still working on you, and that's a good thing because that means grace is real. That means forgiveness is real. That means there's hope. That means if you're watching this from any condition of life, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. I'm a preacher of hope. Don't let the lie of the devil be the thing you believe. I know you can't stop it from coming in your ears, but you can decide I'm at least going to get another opinion on the subject before I buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. And so God's taking us somewhere, and oftentimes the journey is through wilderness places. Anybody live through some wilderness places in your life? Um, And in the wilderness places, there's lots of danger. Have you known that? Uh, There's things that'll kill you in the wilderness that you've never seen at the city park. There's things that will eat you in the wilderness that you've never seen at uh, the Whitewater Center. That's just not how it works. But if you go deep enough into a wilderness, there is a whole different category of risks and troubles that you're now exposed to that in your comfortable, safe places you never experienced. And so here they are, and they, whenever times get hard, they wish for the reassurance of the way it used to be. And what do they do Uh, as they traverse this wilderness and they feel like they're sick of manna? uh, God's blessing can get old to you if you are not right in your spirit. God's care can get boring to you if you're not right in your spirit. And they say, our souls are sick of this manna. Not our stomach is sick of it. Not our taste buds are sick of it. Our souls are sick of this trouble. Well, they were referring to manna, so I should say our souls are sick of this manna. And so uh, here, blessing has become just uh, contemptible to them. And the Bible says the Lord sent serpents among them. Now, serpents uh, live in wilderness places. Um, That is kind of a normal occurrence for you to see in a wilderness area. Um, When I was uh, a young man, I'd go with my uncles on these four-wheel drive trips through um, the deserts of California. And uh, in those deserts, I remember one day we saw five different rattlesnakes. And uh, my cousins were demons and needed uh, repentance, but they never seemed to find true repentance. And even today, if it were not for my forbearance, the Lord would judge them harshly. (laughs) 
But they found a little, they found a little a rattlesnake, and they started playing a game called Flick the Rattlesnake at Poor Little Nate. And uh, they had flicked this rattlesnake at me. And uh, they felt sure that the rattles, they weren't flicking it hard enough to get to me, but to me, it seemed like at any moment it was going to fly up on me. But that's not the worst snake story I have here to tell you today. I have another snake story to tell you. It goes like this. Um, I found myself uh, as a young man staying in the very wild, uh, almost jungle-like areas of Louisiana, and um, I was between preaching engagements. I was staying with a friend of mine, and I mean, this was wild country. Both of the near, what I felt like was real dangerous experiences with wildlife happened the same week. That's what kind of place this was. Uh, One was snakes, the other was wild dogs. But anyway, I'll tell you that story another time. Anyway, uh, so we were out one day, and we had a little 22, and we were shooting snakes because the guy who lived there, my friend's grandfather, he, uh, he, he, there's so many snakes, when you went down the little bayou in a boat, you would see them on every branch. It was unbelievable. So you could go down and stop at every branch that grew over the water, get your little 22 rifle out, shoot a snake off of a branch, go to the next one. It's that many snakes there. And so um, I was trying to shoot this one snake, and uh, my friend Jonathan was running the boat, and uh, he nosed the boat in toward the bank so I could get a better shot, and I lined up, and I shot, and uh, it didn't, it, I, I, I just like barely grazed the snake. I didn't really knock it out of the tree, and the snake didn't move. Well, I was offended by that because, honey, if I'm shooting at you, I expect some running and some hollering, and uh, we went closer, and, um, and I, the second time, I, I, my, it was my theory. Well, I'm standing on this bulkhead of this rowboat, and so I can't step forward. I can't step back. I'm trying to keep my balance. Why I was standing is really a question for theologians. There's no point to it. Um, It's really a theological question. And we're we're gliding toward this bank, and I'm aiming carefully. And right before I shoot, we bump into the bank, and I'm like, oh, and I'm like trying to get, oh, you know, no no risk in falling with firearms, is there? I mean, no risk in that. And so I'm like trying to keep my balance, and I turn around and I look, and I'm looking at this snake over here. And some of you guys have heard this story. And um, there's another one that's coiled on a a tree branch, literally, I could tap its head. That's how close I was to it. And uh, snakes make this, not a hissing, that's like too calm. They make this like this type thing, and that's the kind of sound it was making, like right, right there, and it just coiled, like, you're the devil, you're the devil. I'm like, no, you're the devil. It's like, no, you're the devil. We were rebuking the devil out of each other, and it was... Well, I have never so quickly turned into an instant statue of my life. It was almost as though the Lord had given me supernatural powers, and I was like... (laughs) And I turned into a ventriloquist. I began speaking without moving my mouth. Back the boat up. Back the boat up. Anyway, I'm here today. I don't have fang marks on my face, so you see I survived. Um, But I was really impressed with this truth. The snake you see is not always the snake that's the one you are at risk of being threatened by. There are snakes you see, and there are snakes you don't see, uh, and both of them are uh, danger and a risk. And so here the children of Israel are living with snakes among them, and there's so many snakes that people are regularly being bitten, and it's a plague in the camp. And finally, in desperation, the people begin, re- begin repenting because the problem was never wildlife management. The problem was always, what do you want? The problem is always, what do you want? And the key of that, the key is that 
the scripture uses that word soul. Our souls are sick of where we're at. Our souls are sick of manna. What we really want is Egypt. So uh, serpents come in and fills their camp, and they uh, are in tremendous risk of these serpents. They're dying. And the Lord hears their repentance. He tells Moses to get uh, make a brazen servant, lift it up above the people. They look at what has been killing them. I want to say that again. They face what has been killing them. You don't look away from it. You don't close your eyes to it. You face what has been killing you. And so, uh, and when they do, they, they uh, are saved from the poison of the serpents. Now, the heart of the people is longing for this safety zone of Egypt. It's longing for the certainty of we do things this way. We're not in this time of transition. We're not trying to become. We are simply in this kind of uh, safe place. Even though we're slaves, at least we know what to expect. Living a life of faith is oftentimes stepping out into new places. Living as people of faith is often saying, not my way, Lord, your way. And to make that decision is as though you leave the comfort zone. This isn't just the story of Egypt. It's also the story of Abraham. Abraham, if you want to follow me, I need you to leave your homeland. I need you to get away from the safe zones of the way you've always known and always lived. And I want you to seek a city whose builder and maker is God. I want to say it this way. This world is not enough for us. We can't be satisfied down here. I'm glad you have some blessings in your life. They can't be what you're satisfied with. There needs to be something in your life that hungers and thirsts for a city where the lamb is the light. I am, I'm hungry for a better world. I'm hungry for a better way of being. I've, I've, I've experienced what this world can give, and let me tell you, it is not. And so uh, the problem of these people is their heart for their heart for Egypt. Um, in I, my study, I began looking into what's the big deal about the symbol, um, because let's be honest, uh, particularly when you're young and you see the symbol of a serpent on a stick on the side of an ambulance, there's this question mark in your mind and heart. You're like, really? Is that a religious? Is that, what, what's, what is it? That's healing? A serpent on a stick? That doesn't make sense. If you don't know the story, you're trying to figure out what does that mean? Um, this idea of a serpent that they have to face, they have to see it, they can't turn away from it, uh, this is the answer to their dying need. Look at the serpent. I, I read something that uh, really uh, uh, checked me and astonished me, and I want to share it with you. The solution to the serpent problem was not in trying to kill the serpents. Not in trying to make a anti-venom. Not in pretending the serpents were not there. Not passing anti-serpent laws. Not even trying to regulate serpents. Not not even trying to herd serpents, lead serpents. The solution was to face it. Face the serpent. Isn't it interesting that It's hard to get rid of serpents. Even in a perfect garden, there's serpents. 
If you think you can live where your flesh is not tempted, I, I want to disabuse you of that notion because you're not helping to yourself by lying to yourself. If you want to live as though you're, <laughs> is that too much truth for you? Did I, did I discourage you by saying that? If you think you can live a life without temptation, uh, let me tell you a story. One of the uh, elders of the faith, he's passed on now. Um, his, his name was uh, Urshan. We all growing up referred to him as N.A. Urshan. And he told a funny story about how uh, he had a, a, a situation that, that had happened to him. A young man in a conference came up to him and said, Brother Urshan, I can't wait till I'm as old as you are. And Brother Urshan said, why in the name of God would you not wanna, would you want to hurry up and be as old as me? He said, because I know when you get to your stage of life, there is no more temptation. <laughs> Brother Urshan said the week after that, I was uh, buying something in a store, and the cashier made a mistake. I had used a $100 bill, and uh, she was going to cash and pay me back in $100 bills, but she grabbed the wrong drawer, and instead of paying me back in nine tens, she grabbed the hundreds drawer. This is before cards, so they had a lot more cash. She grabbed the hundreds drawer, and she counted out nine $100 bills in my hand, and then shut the drawer and said, thank you for shopping with us. And he said, I'm looking at this stack of $900 bills in my hand, and all I can think of is that young guy saying, I can't wait until I'm as old as you, and I don't face temptation anymore. If you think there is a place where you can have a garden where there is no temptation, then you need to go back and read Genesis chapter number one, because even in perfect places, serpents find ways in. Um, as a Christian parent, I like to raise my children with a, a little bit of unsaid self-deception where like I can raise them in such a way where they won't have to decide for themselves to be a Christian. But I want to tell myself first and maybe tell you all by accident, there is no way as Christian parents we can raise children where they do not have to decide for themselves whether or not they're going to serve God. They have to decide for themselves. The process of that is terrifying. It is is scary, scary, scary. And again, I say scary. It is troubling. It will give us sleepless nights. But let me tell you, I cannot be my children's relationship with God. And so there comes a point where I have to say, Lord Jesus, uh, I cannot police the serpents in uh, this place. I have to say, you uh, are my salvation, uh, and I look to you as the solution to serpents. All right, so um, moving quickly. It's been killing you, but you have to face it. You don't get to pretend like there hasn't been serpents in the camp. You don't get to pretend as though this is not related to your comfort zone in Egypt. Why do I say that? Um, in Egyptian theology, uh, the various uh, myth-like structures of uh, the story of deity in the Egyptian culture, one of their gods of the highest, what they would call royal order, um, is a serpent god or goddess, depending on the era in which the uh, theology is being given. And I believe the name was a, a, a potus or something like that, a serpent god. And it, this serpent god was among the deity. I'm not telling you this because it represents truth. I'm telling you this because it represents Egypt. And you need to understand what is happening in the children of Israel 
when they're turning away from God, from what God is trying to make them to reassure themselves by what they used to be. Amen. Okay? So that's why I'm telling you this story. And in their theology of Egypt, this serpent goddess was among the royal deity, the royal court of gods, like a Mount Olympus-type royal court of gods. But this, this god or goddess that, however you want to represent it, had a special place within the cultural life of the people's theology, and it went like this. This serpent represents the self-destructive, the chaos, the disorder, the self-harm. Let me say it this way. This serpent represents a civilization's potential to destroy itself. Even the Egyptians could see that something had to account for a civilization's potential to self-destruct. Even the Egyptians saw that something had to explain how a person could go from having so much goodness in them to self-destruction. Even they could see, not of the covenant, not of the house of Israel, even they could see that there's something in the heart of the human story where if we are not careful, we are our own worst enemy and we harm and destroy and damage ourselves. In fact, let me say it differently than that. A lot of the trauma, the pain that we have to recover can't be blamed on others. There is a lot of it that can, but all of it can't be. Some of it is our own capacity to self-destruct. How do we do that? We think things that will uh, in some way fix us are good for us because it is a lust of our flesh. We want, we want, we want. And the most dangerous lie we tell is the lie we tell ourselves. We say that would make us happy and that's what's killing us. We say that would make us strong and that's what's killing us. We say that would be good for us and then we wonder why we can't sleep at night. We say that is what we need and it is our own capacity for self-destruction. That's why you can't have a garden without a serpent in it. Because all the risks do not come from the outside. Some of the risks come from the inside. And you have to face it. You have to lift that serpent up. And you have to face of it. You can't turn away from it. You, let me say it differently. Let me say it in a New Testament way that you will instantly recognize, but that will give you the same truth in a slightly different wrapper. Are you ready for this? The truth will set you free. This is the truth. I need Jesus. I'm not strong enough by myself. I'm not good enough by myself. I'll make 99 mistakes because I was bored. I didn't hear any amens from that side of the church. Just because I'm over here doesn't mean y'all get to be quiet. Y'all think these are the sinners over here. No, y'all, there's plenty of sinners over here. I'm going to tell you something right now, my brother, my sister. I need Jesus. I need you to face this truth. I need you. Don't turn away from this truth. You aren't enough. 
Don't, don't hide from this truth. You need something you don't have. You need a connection outside this world. You need God to wash you clean. You need the power of God to turn away from the flesh. You need the anointing of God. Oh, I wish I could preach a little bit here today to say, I resist you, devil. I rebuke you, devil. Face this truth. I'm not enough. In fact, it's worse than that. If I'm not careful, I will destroy myself. I can't. E- uh, are you ready for this? Are you? I hope you're ready for this. I can't even blame the devil for all the dumb stuff I've done. I need something that I don't have. I need to find an altar. I need to bow my knee. I need to say, oh God, would you wash me? Would you cleanse me today? Would you make all things new? I can be my own worst enemy, oh God. I can cause myself the pain. I can mess myself up, God. I'm not turning away from this truth. I need Jesus. Just as the serpent was lifted up and they had to look at that serpent and in their own Egyptian inheritance. That's how they had grown up. They knew that serpent god, goddess, represented their own capacity for self-destruction. Their own capacity. Is anyone hearing me today? Look at the serpent. It represents your own capacity to destroy everything by the act of your will. You can't blame your folks. You can't blame your friends. You can't blame your enemies. Uh, Look at the serpent. Don't turn away from it. I'm almost done. In the same manner, Jesus said, I have to be lifted up. As the same manner as that serpent was lifted up. Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. What do you see when you look and you see him crucified? It's the ugliest picture you can imagine. The hideous death of the cross. So awkward that the Apostle Paul often sounds apologetic when he is talking to a people who do not see it. He says, look, to this group over here, uh, it is an insult, the Jews. And to this group over here, it is a, a folly, a type of absurdity to them. Uh, but I will not, Paul says, says, turn away from the cross. I will, watch this, glory in the cross. I'm not going to pretend that there was an easy way to solve the sin problem. I'm going to look at the cross, and I'm going to say, my sin did that. That's what my sin is capable of. This picture of Jesus dying on a cross is so ugly that the Jew struggles with it. It is an offense. It is an insult. Don't tell me God died like that. He would never subject himself to that kind of a death, the person says. They cannot embrace it. And the Lord said, just like you raised up the serpent and you had to face it, you couldn't turn your back on it. You need to look at it. You need to face it. So we look to Jesus and we say, because of uh, Calvary, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't uh, in some way attractive. It was offensive to one group. It was absurd to another group. group. But look at Jesus on that cross. I don't need to pretend like my life is pretty when I'm looking at that cross because uh, it was ugly because I had an ugly life that needed a covering. Do you see? Do you see what's happening here? Uh, The offense of the cross is so real that one of the 
hardest problems of the early church was people trying to create a theology that did away with Jesus actually dying. And the way they did it was through Gnosticism. Now, at the risk of boring some of you guys, let me real quick give you the uh, back of the milk carton version of Gnosticism. Are you ready for this? Uh, He wasn't really flesh. He seemed to be flesh. He didn't really die. He seemed to die. What you do is you take a doctrine of redemption, blood covering, and you turn it into mysticism, uh, that it all was a type of spiritual trick. He did not really die. There was not innocent blood. You take the whole theology of Peter, Paul, James, you throw it out. You take the whole book of Hebrew, you throw it out, and you say it was just an ongoing theophany of sorts. It was like a living vision. Why would they do that? Because the idea that the eternal God would submit himself to the death of the cross was offensive to them. And that just seems like the dumbest thing they could ever see. What they want to do is turn away from it. They don't want to look at it. They want to turn away from it. I want there to be a salvation, but I don't want it to be ugly. I need... (laughs) The truth will set you free. Serpents are revolting. And like my grandmother, some of you guys knew my grandmother. She thought the, uh, pig, the snake was the very devil himself. When I was a teenager, I used to show my grandmother pictures of snakes just so I could hear her rebuke the magazine in Jesus' name. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. Am I kidding? I'm not kidding. I would, I'd get a National Geographic. I'd be like, hey, Grandma, look at this cool picture. Oh, I rebuke it in Jesus' name, she would say right now. <laughs> Not studying no snakes. I know that's incorrect. I don't even care. Ain't studying no snakes. Like, oh, you're Pentecostal. You deal with snakes. No, we don't deal with snakes. (laughs) No, that's a different kind of Pentecostal. (laughs) We spell that (laughs) C-R-A-Z-Y. I watched that crazy documentary about Appalachian preachers with snake handling. They, I don't know if y'all, any of y'all saw that. They had that, alba, that albino rattlesnake. I saw that dumb albino rattlesnake in my dreams. Oh. Like, my God, that's just like the devil. Where's my grandma when I need her? I don't want to look at the serpent. It's hideous. It shows me the truth about me. I want to turn away. I don't want to say that I can turn my religion into vanity. That's ugly. I don't want to say that I can hide my bad attitude. That's ugly. I don't want to say that I am tempted. That's ugly. You won't think good of me if I'm too honest. You'll get uncomfortable if I talk about me having a bad spirit. You'll get uncomfortable if I'm a little bit too honest. So let me be too honest here today in the hope that maybe you'll see how hard it can be to face the serpent. All of us can turn our faith into a self-serve, self-exalt power system whereby our faith is about us having our way when we want it, and there is no humility, there is no repentance. It is all about more of me all the time. It's the me show. God save us. You need to lift that serpent up, and you need to look at it, and you say, it was because I have that potential in me that you had to go to Calvary. It's because it was my sin that nailed you to the cross. Remember Peter preaching, it was your hands that nailed him to the cross. So let me say it here today. There is none who is good, no, not one. And you need to lift up that truth. 
if it was not for Jesus, I would not have any hope in my life one forever. Don't be the kind of Christian who finds some notable sinner in your life and say, now that person needs Jesus as if us church folks don't need Jesus quite so bad. Save yourself from the silliness of finding someone at the bottom of the barrel and saying, now they need Jesus. That's ugly sin. No, the way you lied about where your soul is, uh, that's ugly sin too. And the way you pretended to be right when you had hidden sin, that's ugly too. So at the, ca- at the ground at Calvary, everybody needs to get on a level ground. And we need to lift our eyes and say, uh, my sin did that. He didn't deserve it. I deserved it. But because he was lifted up, oh, somebody say it with me, he drew all men unto him. Because he was lifted up, there is an altar here today because he was lifted up. I get to repent and repent and repent. And again, I say repent. The just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. I get to repent and repent and repent and repent. Make sure my repentance outnumbers my transgressions. Musicians come. Stand with me all across the house. (laughs) Lord, would you move among your people here right now? Would you convict our hearts? Would you let us repent of all that is hidden, all the hidden sin of our life? Help us to be honest with you, oh God. Help us not to try to put a pretty cover over a corpse be a whited sepulcher where we look good on the outside and inside we're full of dead man's bones. God, challenge us to spiritual authenticity where we say, I'm here, Lord, I'm far from perfect, but if you'll help me make my next step, I'll worry about the other steps next, but I have one step to make here today. I have one step to make here today, and I want to make that step. I'm preaching to some people here today. I feel like you know you have a step you need to make. You can't worry about who you'll be in 2025. That's a different day. You have one step you need to make here today. You have one step you need to make here today. Quit worrying about step 14 when you have one step you need to make here in this house here. Oh, I, I wish that I in some way could motivate you. I, I, I preach hope. I preach repentance. I preach a new day. I preach all of these things, but I can't motivate you. Or let me say it differently. I can't make you make that next step. But everything you could be in God does not depend on this whole journey. It depends on your next step, your next step, your next step. You just have one to make right here, right now. You have one step. And I want to implore with you today.
to make that step. God, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not turning away from who I am. I'm, I'm not turning away from who, what I'm capable of. I'm, I'm not trying to find a way to be religiously pretentious, but in truth, I am in some way kind of a two-faced Christian where I have the church me, and then I have the me, me, and then I wonder why there feels to be such a distance between the me in the real world and the me I feel at church. Lord, save us from that kind of thing. We need to face the cross. We need to look at the cross. We have hope today, but it's because he paid the price. It's his love. Lord, move among us today. I'm praying right now. Challenge our hearts, oh God. Convict our spirits by your mighty power, by your mighty spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray. I hunger and I long to see you work among us, oh God. In Jesus' name, we pray. We're going to take some time to linger here in the presence of the Lord. We always do our services this way. I've preached as good as I can preach. I can't do any better. Um, uh, We're just going to make some space right now for the moving of the Spirit. And if you feel God calling you, you feel as though God has kind of grabbed your shoulder and is pulling you, I'd like you to take the liberty of stepping out of the place you are and kind of make your way down here to the front. And as you come, would you lift your hands and say, Lord, this is me responding to you. Lord, this is me responding to you in this house. I want us all, if you have any need here today, I'd like us to unify our faith. I'd like us to pray one for another. Would, would you do that right now? Just, just feel free to step out and come down to the front in this house. I, I know we're still a little kind of uh, hesitant to do that with all of the years that we've had the last couple of years, but I think most of us are beyond that now, and most of us are fine. If, if, if you feel the, the Lord pulling on you. I need you to respond to that in this house. Don't resist it. Let your heart respond to that right now. Our worship team is going to lead us. Uh, Myself and other pastors will move among you. We'll pray with you. Uh, Let's turn this whole house into an encounter with God. This whole house into an encounter with God here today. If, you, if, if you're visiting, if you need to go at any time, feel free. Thank you for worshiping with us. We have First Steps Lesson 2 after, the, after this. But we don't want uh, to rush into that just right now. Let your heart respond to God. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.